Welcome to New World of Work, a podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce. I'm Rhys Black, Head of Workplace Design at Oyster, a global employment platform making it easier than ever to build a brilliant team on an international scale. On New World of Work, we'll hear from some of the world's best and brightest people and culture experts on cutting-edge topics that people operations professionals need to hear today, all through a global lens. Join us as we navigate this new world of work together and learn more about each other along the way. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting the podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on how we can improve the show and what you're interested in learning about next. Please take a moment to share your thoughts on the New World of Work listener survey, linked in the show notes below. Looking forward to hearing from you. If there's one theme we've seen consistently over the last few years, it's inconsistency. Nearly every industry has learned to expect the unexpected and prepare for uncertainty. In times like these, leaders who are able to embody agility, adaptability and perseverance will thrive, and so will the organisations that they lead. One way to do this effectively is by leaning into the practice of scenario planning, which is one of the topics we'll be discussing in today's episode. Our guest today is someone who has been studying leadership development for 25 years and as a result knows all about the makings of a great leader and how they tackle effective scenario planning. Her name is Maggie Coquelina and she's the founder of Third Thought Consulting. She also recently wrote the book Today for Tomorrow, A Field Guide to Scenario Planning. Maggie shares her words of wisdom on leadership, scenario planning and the future of work. Here's our discussion. My name is Maggie Kolkina, and I have cycled through a few careers. I began my professional life in the performing arts. I worked as I taught dance, I choreographed, I performed in musicals, and I did that until my mid-30s. And I loved it. And I really was determined never to work at a corporation. And then I needed some money to feed my children. So I decided to go back to school and studied at Pepperdine University to get a degree in organization development and started my business, Third Thought Consulting, in 1995 with a focus on innovation and going beyond the obvious. So as you mentioned, your 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 speciality is leadership development. You have 25 years experience in that. I guess to set the scene and go kind of big and, and high level, mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll definitely focus down into particular areas as we go. What are some of the most important lessons that you've learned along the way? One of the lessons that I learned in that transition between performing arts and facilitating leadership experiences mm-hmm. was that I was very much in the background. I had moved from being a performer to being a stage manager or a director or really just, you know, a scenic designer almost because I would be setting up the space and facilitating from the back of the room instead of lecturing or running the show. I really believe that leaders are incredibly smart and I love taking a situation and being able to flip it if I need to. One of the things that I learned in theater was respect for the audience and how to read a room. 
And so I feel like one of my best skills is facilitating and being able to facilitate in a moment. <laughs> it reminds me of my first time teaching a leadership workshop. And I was working with a bunch of folks from Wyoming and Utah and teaching this workshop. And I had put up a very sketchy sort of flip chart of a very high level. And they came back and they said, Maggie, we want to give you a little feedback. We're going to need a lot more detail and a lot more structure because I was pretty improvisational at that point. So that was one of my lessons is like really design hard, lean into that. And that allows you to be looser in the moment. So at that point, you, you were saying about going from being the performer, being the center of attention to mm-hmm. moving into the background. And can you repeat again what you, um, you said that was analogous to? I think you said set design or something. Well, so when, when I'm designing a leadership experience now, I'm not in the front of the room lecturing. I, in fact, I studied with National Speakers Association and I found out I am not a speaker. I don't like to speak. I like to facilitate, which is a very different activity. So it's really focused on what does this audience, if that's the analogy, what does this audience need? Well, they need a space that works. So a physical space that facilitates interaction. They need, you know, act one, act two, act three, and they need an overall theme. You know, what's what's the purpose of this performance? What's the purpose of this leadership experience? What are we trying to come away with? And it's not just a set of facts or a technique of, you know, that you can read about. It's an experience. It's a, it's a challenging feeling. So oftentimes we're really trying hard to get leaders out of their comfort zone because that is the learning moment. As you said, you, you moved from being the performer to being the, the facilitator and, mm-hmm. and you realized that there, you know, there was a very big shift in persona and, and priorities in that situation. Uh, was that difficult? I guess what I'm trying to understand is you acknowledged that. Did you acknowledge that because it was just so clear and quite like jarring to be like, oh, wait a minute, this is a very different world here. And you immediately made that shift or, or was it actually a challenge to make that shift? I wouldn't say it was a challenge to make the shift from performing to facilitating. I was ready to leave the performing arts. If you've ever done a long run of seven weeks, seven shows a week, it's long and it's repetitive and it's fun, but it's not intellectually challenging anymore. And so I was ready for something a little more challenging intellectually. And when I went back to grad school, I studied organization development. And so when we do leadership development, there's a strong piece of organization development in that so that a leadership experience, a session of leaders, it should somehow shift the organization in some way, right? It should make a difference when they go back. And that's what we really strive for is trying to create an experience that is, we call it sticky that it actually creates a change and there's a positive effect on the entire organization or the team and the leader themselves. Could you give a brief description of your company, Third Thought, and what the company does and your overall mission? So I started Third Thought Consulting in 1995, and I was making a transition from that creative world of theater to 
the world of business, which at that time I thought was not creative enough. So I really focused at that time on creativity and innovation. I did my thesis study comparing improv teams to project teams inside a utility. And at that time, my hypothesis was theater people, people in the arts are creative, people who work at utility companies are not. And I gathered data about creative style using Michael Curtin's adaptive innovation instrument and a climate study. And we got audience feedback or stakeholder feedback. And you will probably already know the punchline. In fact, the people who worked at the utility company were just as creative as the people in the improv company. What was really different was the support that they got for their work. So this was a re-engineering team in a utility company that everything in the system was preventing them from being more innovative to proposing bolder initiatives. And everything in the improv company, they practice all the time, even though they are very spontaneous. They also practice that. They build huge amounts of trust in one another. And so it was quite a learning for me. And I was able to bring that into organizations to say, how might I bring in more elements that are like the improv world? How might we create a supportive place where people can be more innovative, where they're not blocked by structures and attitudes within the organization? So third thought, is named like for first thought, second thought, third thought. So it's about going beyond the obvious and pushing a little bit harder to figure out a good solution. If you had to distill it down, what is your, I guess, your overarching mission of your career personally? To make the world a better place. Um, uh, my, my mission is really to help leaders be successful in making their organizations better places and to help the world. I really think that businesses have a, a very big role to play in creating positive change in the world. What, what is your overall philosophy when it comes to leadership development? Are there, do you believe that there are key qualities that, that make a strong leader in your experience? Key qualities that make a strong leader, I think there are, yes. I think that being able to toggle in opposition, present, future, personal, business, the ability to really flex for leaders right now is one of the, you know, we talk a lot about agility now. I think that leaders, however, there's no cookie cutter. You know, in the old days, it used to be, well, introverts don't make, make very good leaders, you know, and nonsense like that. Any person has the possibility of being a great leader. They have to choose it first, and not everybody does choose that. And then I think that continuous work on themselves, really working on their own development, continually seeking more versatility which is really, I think, one of the big key skills of leadership development, and also humanity. I think that increasingly, I and mean, it's very clear the trends are that it's going to be more and more important for leaders to be human beings, not just supervisors. So you, you gave some 
some really interesting history there and kind of, I guess, the areas that you, you've been focused on historically. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what your, your work's looking like right now and, and, and where your focus and priorities are. So what are some of the current challenges that you're focused on solving with your work, with the companies you work with? So about five years ago, our focus shifted from a general approach to leadership development like being effective leaders, personal skills, as well as some collaborative skills. And we were working with a company in the UK, and it was a, a long-term program, like three sessions with, with coaching for each of the leaders, pretty senior leaders. And I was coaching one person, let's call him Greg, and he got feedback on his 360 so a 360 is you get feedback from your peers, your your bosses, your direct reports, and any other stakeholders. And the feedback was extremely clear that he was quite a micromanager. And he definitely wanted to work on that, but he didn't know quite how to do that, how to pull up and, quote, be more strategic. And we were noticing that more and more leaders were getting that kind of feedback, be more strategic. And, you know, what they weren't sure what they were supposed to do, you know, just think about the future and think big thoughts. There really weren't any frameworks for leaders at that time that in our repertoire that we were able to use with them. We were using the McKinsey three horizon model, which is horizon one, you focus on existing products and, you know, really exploit your margins and just be super efficient. And Horizon 2 is you're testing and de-risking new ideas. And Horizon 3, you're seeding new opportunities. You're trying to discover completely new things. So we were saying for, and those that comes out of companies who are high growth companies. So these three horizons are also important for leaders. And the more senior you are, the more time you ought to be spending in Horizon 3. We would do just informal surveys in the in the classroom, and it was clear that very few leaders were spending more than 10% of their time there. And it was mostly in collaboration with more, um, I don't want to say, more corporate initiatives. So I thought it was probably time for us to introduce scenario planning, which I had used many years prior when I worked at Intel Labs. Maggie isn't the first guest we've had on the podcast to compare leadership to the performing arts. I think it's such an interesting and poignant analogy that really helps to illustrate the true purpose of the people ops function. As Maggie explained, great leadership is about knowing your audience and understanding their needs. Much like a well-constructed theater play, an effective leader should know how to connect multiple acts through one unifying theme. I also loved what Maggie said about modern leaders moving away from the cookie cutter mold. As we often say here on Your World of Work, there's no one size fits all approach to anything and leadership is no exception. Next, I asked Maggie to expand on the term scenario planning and more importantly, how to do it well. Just to set the scene and give our, our guests some context, could you please provide an overview of what you mean by the term scenario planning? Scenario planning is a long-term planning process. It doesn't replace strategic planning, but it can inform it and really help 
your current strategies be more robust in the future. In scenario planning, you begin with research. All of scenarios, scenarios are stories about the future. And instead of having a single line of planning with saying, well, we think the trends are pretty much the same and we're going in this direction again and plus or minus 10%, we should be good. As we know, there are disruptions everywhere. So what happens in traditional planning is that it's very easy to be blindsided by a disruption, a new trend, a global pandemic, anything like that. And so scenario planning, the traditional method creates four scenarios based on the trend research and analysis that you do. So you look at four possible futures and say, how might our organization operate in that future? And and analyze that, looking for implications, risks, and opportunities, and then filter that back into your strategic plan. So it's a it's a really creative process, but it's also a super rational process. It's art and science, and it should be done by teams, not by by a single person. I would love to get your thoughts on what are some of the the non-negotiables, I guess? What are some of the golden rules when it comes to scenario planning? <laughs> golden rules for scenario planning. Uh, number one, do it with as a team. The more diverse your team is, the better. And don't do it all at once. We used to introduce this into workshops, you know, over a period of a week, and it wasn't horrible, but it didn't really allow for the incubation time for people to really think about what they were learning in their trend research, to really noodle over all that data that you're synthesizing into driving forces, into key uncertainties. And so it, it's, a t- it's something that really benefits from a little bit longer time frame. The scenarios will never come true exactly as written. It will be some combination of all of them. And it's important to stay current because at any point, some new data can come in and, ref- and you know, inform your scenarios in a new way. But it's, it's something that what happens with scenario planning is when you start to do trend research, you start to really notice patterns and you become aware of patterns. It's a structured process. So when you're doing trend research, you are working from a, a framework and the framework makes sure that you look at polit- politics, economics, social movements, technology, and it eliminates that bias that is kind of inherent in how we all work. Most of us have biases about our business. We know a lot about our business and we know so much that we don't even filter in new information. A structured process like trend scanning for scenario planning alerts you to things that you probably are not reading, you're probably not taking in, and there's this really cool phenomenon called Bader-Meinhof, and it's a, a form of selective attention. And once you notice something, then you can't unsee it anymore. And I have a great story about that. When I first learned scenario planning, I had the privilege of studying with the Global Business Network. It was the premier firm in the United States at that time. 
And one of my lab managers at Intel Labs, Bob Hills, paid for me to go down there and study with them. And these were people from all over the world. And I got into a group with a man who was from the UK, but he lived in Hong Kong and worked for a large consortium in Hong Kong. So he was about 50 times more sophisticated and knowledgeable than I was. I was pretty new to it all. And he said to our group, we should focus on water. And this was in 2000, maybe. We should focus on water. Well, we did focus on water. It was fascinating. I learned a lot about national boundaries and rules and what was happening with the climate, which was pretty new information at that point to me. And until that day, I hadn't really paid any attention to water. But from that day forward, I couldn't unsee stories about water when, you know, dams were being put in. So when you do this trend research, it really helps you become aware of what's going on in the world around you. And you become a little more habitual about checking things about the future. And the problem with our media is that it's all focused on today and the past. So news shows are very much about what's happening now and what will really get our fear and attention and working or amygdala lights up and the, you know, most news just isn't very informative about what's going on in the whole world. So it's important, I think, to have a discipline around looking at the future and more than just listening to the news. Is there, is there mm -hmm. any advice you would have for people to be able to kind of put themselves in that mindset and, and, and be used to thinking more in the future so that they can, as you say, make use of that in their, in their businesses? Yeah, I think anybody who wants to stay current, sure, keep watching the news if you want to and, and consuming online news. But the problem with news is that it's, you know, present or backward looking. And a lot of the responsible news sources are putting in paywalls. And I get it. They need to. I mean, their business models need to change. So I have people that I follow, interesting voices. Um, the book has a, a list of those. There are a lot of places that you can get really exciting news and trends that are not only innovative, but also not designed to make you nervous and not turn away. <laughs> you know, it's, it's important, I think, to find those those sources so that you can not only stay up on your own organization, but in the greater world. As we saw from the pandemic, we are interdependent. We are not independent cities or states or countries. We all depend on each other. And one of the things that I am totally geeking out on lately is um, supply chain. Supply chain is fascinating. <laughs> And I subscribe to several sources to learn about supply chain. So you're all going to have a thread of information that you like to follow. But I challenge you to find some other threads that aren't that interesting to you because they could become interesting, some fundamental choices. One of the things that one of the sites that I'm loving right now is Corporate Rebels. Have you seen Corporate Rebels? I've they heard are, of it, yeah. Yeah, they are great. They are Corporate Rebels is a site. It's in the Netherlands. And they, it's a group of people who said corporations can be better. And they dropped out and they developed this list of where they want to go. You know, their, their, their hit 
punch list for visiting organizations. Well, they get to all these different organizations and they've identified several shifts that are going on in the world from, you know, centralized decision-making to decentralized decision-making from command and control to freedom and trust. And they have profiles of different companies, a great site. For anybody who's interested in like changing the conversation about, you know, to go from, gosh, should we do hybrid or not? To like, how do we really revolutionize our organization? Corporate rebels. That's a great suggestion. I want to bring it back to one thing you said a little, a little while ago. One of your one of your golden rules was um, not to do scenario planning all at once, to give time for incubation, for rumination, mm. I guess you could mm-hmm. say. And, and and that got me starting to think about time. Uh, and 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 well, firstly, over what time frames should scenario planning take place? Is it is it part of your quarterly cadence, your annual cadence? Is it beyond? And then you know you mentioned the three horizons. How far out should scenario? Sorry, how far <laughs> out should scenario planning be looking? At least five years. I think that for some industries that are maybe not as prone to disruption, and honestly, I don't know what industry that would be, but if you feel like your organization is not quite as, I don't know, changeable, then you can go out a little further. You don't need to do it every year. I think that scenario planning should be done in in a cycle, maybe it's biannual, that informs the strategic planning process to say, look, we've got these uncertainties or we've got these insights and here's what we're going to do about them. And that gets filtered into your strategic planning and budgeting. So that's why I called the book Today for Tomorrow. What can you do today for tomorrow for Horizon 3? I was coaching one manager one time and he he gave me his philosophy. He said, Maggie, I, I look at scenario or at... Um, my time, how I distribute my time. I do stuff that's now for now and now for later because you always need to be working on multiple time horizons, right? Preparing for the future, but also addressing today. And that gets me to a whole other part around the the short-term focus that is plaguing our organizations. <clears throat> so scenario planning makes you think about the future. It compels you to look at it. It will compel you to look at climate action. It will compel you to look at what's your employee value proposition. And all those things get filtered in to today because there are so many forces that keep leaders and organizations focused on the next quarter, right? We have to deliver the next quarter's results. And that's a shame because that sort of, cuts off the possibility of also paying attention to the long term. There is a wonderful organization called the Focus, let's see, FCL, FCLT, Focus Capital on the Long Term. And FCLT is really looking at how do we balance short-term and long-term investment? What's the story we're telling to our shareholders? Because right now there's such an emphasis on the short-term, but Companies who invest in the long term get a, a payoff as well. So it's a, it's a dilemma, and I don't blame managers because there are a lot of forces that are keeping them there. 
So thinking about the the listener of this podcast, there there will be some some variation in there, all the way from mm-hmm. very early stage startups to to, to larger potentially publicly traded companies, um, mm-hmm. and. Even just thinking about Oyster's ex- experience so far, we're a three-year-old mm-hmm. company. In the early days, you you really are just thinking about, okay, how do we make it work right now? You know, yeah. versus yeah. once you become a bit more mature, you become a bit more robust. You start having capacity to think about the future and to think a bit more long term. So, mm-hmm. with, with all of that said, what does scenario planning look for? That I guess is startup appropriate or, or or for a for a younger stage company versus a more mature one. So I wrote this book for leaders because that's the population I work with. And anyone can lead a scenario project. So in my mind, I've got small teams working this because the larger organizations are hiring the really good firms who are going to give them, you know, really good clues about the strategy and so on. But during the COVID pandemic, the businesses that were hit the hardest were the small and medium-sized businesses. And they didn't have contingency plans, most of them. They didn't have the knowledge of what was possible. Like one in five corporations filed the risk of a pandemic as part of their SEC filings. So, you know, about 20% of large corporations were looking at it. The pandemic was knowable. That, that, Risk was knowable. Bill Gates did a TED Talk about it. There were companies who were prepared, but most of us weren't. And so I would love to see smaller businesses, medium businesses, startups really benefit from this because even though you may not be as as proficient about the process as you know a firm that specializes in this, you will still be better off by identifying those trends and which ones will be a risk to you and which ones will be possibly something that you can use as an opportunity. I would imagine Mm -hmm. we shouldn't be thinking of this as something that is a sort of stochastic um, Mm -hmm. uh, exercise that you run and then you come back to it later on, like scenarios are are ever changing, as you say, so that these should be updated regularly. So yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on on, on how do you iterate, how do you ensure that these are something that they kind of become almost like a heartbeat of the company, a constant through the company? Yeah. So how do you iterate scenarios? You don't have to create brand new scenarios every year. If you can, that's great. But I find that because I write scenarios all the time, that you can adapt them and update them with new trend data. You don't have to cast and go through the whole process. I think the thing that would be important is to create a practice or a discipline around trend watching and trend scanning. That is something that's really easy to incorporate into your monthly routines. In the book, I give several examples of, you know, every once a month we're coming together and you're each challenged to bring the most unique and interesting trend or bring trends that you think will be disruptive to the company. And that way you're continually developing, you know, a team intelligence around what's happening in the world and keeping your research knowledge up to what's happening in the world all the time. It takes a discipline, though, to put that routine into your into your schedule, but it can be fun. I mean, I think trend scanning is is super fun. 
it's fascinating. Well, that's been one of the big benefits of, of scenario work. I do a lot of research and I learn a lot. It's fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any other tips for, for leaders that, that want to practice scenario planning so that they can, I guess, do it in a way that is agile, you, you're able to adapt, you're able mm -hmm. to pivot depending on what comes up? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is about today for tomorrow. So putting in a trend scanning practice is, is not hard to do. The hard thing is making sure it's on the meeting agenda once a month or once a quarter or once an offsite, you know, and challenging one another to bring that data. The other tips are that you don't have to do this all the time. You, you really don't. You can cast those scenarios and revisit them, you know, once a year and say, what's changing? What, what opportunities, what technologies come forward and, and recast those scenarios as needed. I would also say that subscribing to a few places that give really good knowledge would be very helpful. I love Amy Webb. Amy Webb is a quantitative futurist and her business is Future Today Institute. Once a year, she gives away a lot of research. They have 11 different areas that they're looking at for technology. So medical, personal and, you know, entertainment, all kinds of places like that. So making sure that you read that once a week. Henry Coutine Miller Mason has a really cool website. Jonathan Brill is a friend of mine. He's a futurist. He's very interesting. So just putting that in, sign up for three newsletters that are interesting to you, and that will help you stay current. Fantastic. So thinking about the people leader that is listening to this podcast, um, mm. there's been a lot of turbulence in their world. Well, yeah. <laughs> you could go back quite far, but let, let's say specifically like this year with you know the economic scenario or, or, or environment that we find ourselves in, and more specifically, the mass layoffs that are happening, particularly in the, in the tech industry. With that said, for the people leader that's listening, what advice would you give to them to make use of scenario planning to help them in the work that they're dealing with to, to support their organizations through these, these kinds of challenges? I think that scenario planning would be helpful to people leaders because they are so captured by what's happening today. And yet they have to prepare their organization for the future. And every year I do a future of work set of scenarios. And that's usually the case study that we usually use because every leader manages people. And so looking at the trends are still important. Do you have to do that yourself? No. But can you get somebody to do some scenarios for you so that you can at least anticipate? I mean, imagine if you had known that COVID was coming. I've talked to two different companies that anticipated it. And when it happened, they didn't lose a beat. The next day they came in with their safe technology and their masks and they were ready to keep working. So even though it's so hard to pull up from the current needs of your organizations, somehow even doing a consortium, I think pulling together a consortium of local people leaders would be really powerful. 
looking online, just just to Google, you know, talent scenarios, and you'll get an idea of what's coming. So even though layoffs and gaps, they, you know, they're always going to be part of the cycle of organizations. But how are you going to attract the talent you want and be ready for what you have to do? One of the trends that we're, of course, seeing is the kind of ecosystem approach and, you know, welcoming in all workers, not just, you know, contract and not just permanent employees. And so really getting on top of that will help your organization manage those cycles. Unilever has a UWork platform that is working really well. They're getting a lot of attention for it to allow people phase retirement. I'm astonished that more work, more employers don't have a phased retirement option. You know, you're, you want to cut back, you're 65, you don't want to work as much, but it's good for you and good for the organization if you went part-time. And so few organizations are doing these sort of, they're not even that creative. They seem pretty logical to me. And four-day work weeks, to me, that seems an inevitable reality. But I think getting out there and looking at those possibilities, even as you're preparing layoffs, is it will help you in the long term. It really will. So let's say there's a people leader that's listening to this podcast and, and they're saying, wow, we, we really need this in our company. What is some advice you would give the, to them to be able to take this to the other execs in their business and, and kind of vouch for this and, and, and advocate for this being something to, to seriously consider for their business? People leaders can be advocates for new things. And I think that coming in through the leadership lens is one way to do that, to say, you know, our leaders need this and just starting a local project. I mean, the book, the book that I wrote is really different than most of the scenario books out there. They were written by academics, by really good people who are super, super smart. This book was, came out of a toolkit that i built over six years doing this work with leaders to help them be able to do it. So it's super practical. It's super how-to. It's got color. It's got some drawings in it. And it's kind of fun. And a friend of mine said, one of my best compliments was, this, this is more like a conversation than a lecture. And so it's super approachable. And people can take this and you know, get their way through a scenario project. Will it be great? No, but will it be w better than what you had before? Absolutely. So I would say go get some budget and, you know, either if you can and get somebody in to help you do this or just do a little DIY skunk works, start it and see where it goes. It's very powerful to go through a scenario project. Frustrating, hard sometimes, but so creative and interesting. And you will always come away with some insights that will help you in your business today. Love it. What's next for you? What are you excited to work on next? <laughs> well, to be honest, I did not love the writing process. 
it was it was difficult because I'm usually creating something and communicating some information and coaching, and it all had to go in the book. And my first feedback was, well, you have the gift of brevity because I didn't include any examples or steps for how to do it. So this how-to book, I hope, will be very helpful to people. My goal is really to get this in the hands of people who can't hire a scenario planning firm because the future is coming at us faster and faster. The experts say that in the next 15 years, we have more change than in the entire history of human beings. So the change is not going to stop. And we need better tools. We really do need better tools. And scenario planning, to me, is one of the best tools that will help leaders manage the future and the complexity of the world today. So I want a lot of people to get it. <laughs> I'm sending out PDFs left and right. <laughs> My book is called Today for Tomorrow, A Field Guide for Scenario Planning by Maggie Colkina. Available on Amazon. <laughs> I'm also going to be doing a session on LinkedIn date to be set still. The session will look at what scenario planning is and how to do it. And everyone who attends will get a, a PDF of the book. Last question from me. And this is a question <laughs> that we ask all of our guests on, on New World of Work. What's the best mistake you've ever made and why? Well, writing this book was kind of a mistake. I was malingering during COVID. I really, it was a hard time. And this notice came across and said, we'll help you write your book. And I sent that to my partner and I said, should we do this? And she wrote back and said, yes. So I signed up to get the help. And then my partner said, oh, no, 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 you're the one with the scenario background. You should do the book. And, and I did with with a lot of help from her. But it was a difficult process. And now I feel really proud of the fact that there's something here that can help leaders and is helping leaders. And I think ultimately will also help the world because you can't do a scenario project and not be struck by what needs to change in the world and begin working for that change. Leaders have far more power than they know. I think that's a fantastic, very poignant line to, to finish the episode on. Thank you so much. That was really enjoyable. It was so great listening to Maggie's words of wisdom on leadership, scenario planning, and more. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. The perfect leader does not exist. In this new world of work, there's no longer a cookie cutter mold of what the ideal leader should look, sound or act like. Anyone and everyone can be a great leader today. So focus on maximizing your own unique strengths and reaching your personal potential. Scenario planning is a smarter, better way of preparing for the future. In a world that seems so full of turbulence, disruptions and unpredictable events, scenario planning is something every team should be practicing today. Remember, scenario planning is something that should be done regularly and in teams to maximize your outputs. Check your biases. We all have unconscious internal biases on some level. So it's important that we put in the extra effort to learn new things every day. Seek out new, trusted sources beyond the mainstream media to expand your knowledge base. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of New World of Work. 
If you're interested in what today's job seekers are looking for in an employer, be sure to check out our employee expectations report by visiting the link in the show notes or visiting this URL, bit.ly forward slash oyster report. I repeat, that's bit.ly forward slash oyster report. Thank you for listening to New World of Work, the podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce through an international lens. We hope this episode served to expand your horizons and open your mind to a new perspective. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so that we can reach more listeners. I'm your host, Reese Black. See you next time.